official sliding on the instrumental Nordic combos twist mental like forbidden peace to the public and power to the people yo what's up we appreciate your attendance your time uh in this space where the vulnerable are powerful and where the most gangster thing you could do is serve this is the all the way live podcast this is indeed the all the way live podcast so what me and my brother miles do is we come here on a weekly basis we dedicate our time we dedicate our uh we dedicate our friendship we dedicate our community into making sure that every time we come onto this platform, we give people some carefully curated content. Uh, we do it for a host of reasons, you know? The fact is, one, this is one of my favorite people to talk to in the world. So this week, bro, I'm even more excited because I feel like we haven't been able to get our usual chats on. Yeah, it's been a lot going on. Not a lot of back and forth, but I'm happy to be here with you. Happy to be in conversation. Uh, excited. And um, I guess maybe a little anxious even for the conversations we got going on today. Definitely, man. We got a whole show that's curated. And you know, the main reason that we do this thing, man, is because we understand that people are going through it. We understand that people are going through it. We know that mental illness is at um, an all-time high. We know that depression is high. We know that we're losing a lot of brothers to, a lot of brothers and sisters to, um, to depression, you know? So we try to be a space of, positive energy you come over here you get that refuel we give you things to sound smart around your friends with <laughs> some stuff you can quote you know what i mean um and we do it on a consistent basis man and it's, it's a pleasure to do this thing with y'all again big facts big facts man and y'all already know what's going on exit is in a building by way of johannesburg with my boys way over there uh we down a man though Got to shout out our producer, Hassan, on the boards, who is not on the boards today. We're doing this thing manual. We miss you, bro. Uh, but we'll appreciate to have you back next week. All y'all out there, bear with us as we try to handle this thing. Me and Sway yeah. again, you know, like old times. We'll see if we still got it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's that's Big Facts. Exeter is in the building. Uh, Chiswick is also in the building. We'll, we'll explain uh, why and how a little bit later, but that's very exciting news. And of course, of course, of course, Chicago is in the building. Uh, this podcast is recorded on stolen land. Um, this land was cared for by the Potawatomi people, the Council of the Three Fires, and the violence done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city today, this country today, and this world today. Um, and that's as important as ever to mention, especially as we go through the summer. Uh, a lot going on, as always, a lot of activity, but also a lot of positivity, actually some of which we'll get into in our uh, impact spotlight. So that's how we lift up love for indigenous people the world over by acknowledging that history and its connection to the spaces that we see and are grateful to be in. I belong to Chicago, so that's always important to me. It's also how we lift up love between black and brown people the world over and how you know the intro's over. Let's get into the show. Man, I love how you do that. Let's get into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all the way live, though? You heard? Like my brother Miles Xavier just shared with y'all, man, one of the things that we do over here, we're the place where, the, where impact meets art. 
But Miles and I are both activists and community organizers within our own spaces. Um, we champion those people that are on the front lines dedicating their lives to trying to make a difference. Um, we think that that community should always continue to get bigger the more hands we have onto this thing here, the more people get help, the more kids get help. And this week, we're focusing our impact spotlight on the Firebird community in Chicago. Miles, our resident Chicagoian. Ch Chicago, Chicago, how did Kanye say it? Chicagoian. Till Chicago win and we blow like Chicago win. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's always a pleasure to be able to big up the fam. You know what I mean? Uh, and we got some incredible things going on in connection with Firebird that I'll get into later. But uh, first, a little background, a little context. Uh, they were founded in 1990. They're focused on connecting Chicagoans uh, through the healing practice of glass blowing and the ceramic arts. So those two kind of fire-based arts are um, representative of reimagining and rebuilding uh, in these communities that have been historically disinvested in. Um, and they're trying to regenerate and in these, in these communities, evocative of like a phoenix, right? That's on their logo. So it's deep, man. I really mess with everything that they represent and that they stand for. Um, it began in... 2015, they started their flagship program, Project Fire, and they're using art as a tool for healing, uh, which includes trauma-intensive programs with wraparound services for youth um, that have been uh, touched by violence in the city. So I love what they do. Their art is super, 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 super dope. But yeah, man, just wanted to bring a little one of the fam into the conversation. The whole art as a point of impact is so important because there's so much there's so much therapy that goes into the creative process. You know, it's a, it's an outlet to be able to um, be able to express yourself. And we know because uh, we say this all the time, we, we say, man, a lot of these kids um, have never been told they mattered. A lot of these kids have never been um, allowed to be able to, to share how they feeling, give, be given a hug. You know, a lot of them are walking around just having, uh, no one really having acknowledged them, you know, so be, to be able for Firebird, to put together this type of program where they are trying to um, provide a creative space for kids because some of the best creative stuff comes from the hood. You know, a lot of our favorite types of music, a lot of our favorite types of uh, culture and things that come from uh, the hip hop culture stems from uh, stems from these low income households, man. So shout out the Firebird community. What can we do to help them even further? Uh, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. I didn't think you was going to ask. So, you could donate. Um, there's a lot of ways to different to get involved, right? They host events. They teach classes and workshop. Um, they have free glass bowing for veterans. They have residencies in local schools. Uh, so they really, there's a, there's a myriad of ways to get involved, actually. So I would say look them up. Check them out. Firebirdcommunityarts.org. Uh, take a class, man. Get involved. You could donate. Um Actually, we have some, like I was mentioning, we have some exciting stuff. So some of the folks that are in their Project Fire program um, are helping us create markers for the Chicago 1919 race riots commemoration. So actually, we're going to embed markers as reminders of not only the violence that happened, but the resistance and the in the ways that our history has shaped segregation in, in Chicago. Um, we're going to embed markers into the concrete and the markers are going to be made uh, by folks at Firebird and Project Fire. So uh, check that out. Check out that initiative. Uh, go ahead and donate to CRR19, Firebird, 
uh, yeah, man, there's some incredible, exciting stuff going on. And I love how you framed uh, how important it is for youth to have these opportunities. You know, if you've been watching the show for a little bit, you understand that uh, my brother Miles here loves to do this thing where he'll say he's about to do something super cool and make it sound super casual. So I don't want it to get lost on people exactly what you said you're going to be doing, which is putting markers in memory of the Chicago race riots into the Chicago streets and in the city, literally putting a stamp on your city. Hey man, yeah, I'm a I'm a small part of a, an incredible movement to commemorate this important history. Shout out to Dr. Franklin Kozigay. Shout out to Dr. Peter Cole. Uh, yeah, man, it's a it's a it's a movement to to really take our history, allow our history to take up space. Um, so shout out to DK's, the folks in the city that um, we are hoping to collaborate with. Uh, it's major for sure. Yo, Miles, today is not just any regular day, you know. We definitely enjoy coming over here. We definitely enjoy putting this content together. But this time around, you've been saying something that we have to always do. You said, Zway, there's no way we can have another conversation about women issues without having a woman on this show. You kept on saying that. You told the fans that, you know. And since then, I, I like to think we haven't done that, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, to the best of our ability, um, we've we've tried to make good on that, and that's what we do. We try and we try and uh, show y'all that our word means something. Uh, so, with that, take us there, bro. Let's go. Yeah, um, we needed help. You know, part of being vulnerable, uh, part of part of part of being vulnerable is admitting when you need help, when you need assistance, when you need support. Um, and this is a case in which we needed help with this conversation. Uh, and so, luckily, we were able to have the lovely Lilani grace us with her presence. Uh, Lilani is a sexual health and relationships educator. She teaches young people ages 13 to 15 uh, and trains teachers, foster parents, and after-school program officers to also uh, work through these conversations about sexual health and relationships. Uh, she's finishing her master's in sexual health and reproductive health uh, in Chicago, writing her dissertation as her work for focuses on the intersectional impact of racism on reproductive and sexual health on communities Ooh. of color in the United States, in the United Kingdom. Um, and she also happens to be my partner. So shout out to the universe looking out for a brother. Uh, Lilani, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on this show. Um, you know, part of the reason why you, part of the reason why I think it took us a while to be able to get here is because we really wanted to do due justice in um, approaching this matter with a lot of um, a lot of intent. And, you know, luckily for, for Miles, luckily for myself, um, you're one of those people who has such a wealth of knowledge onto this space. And you've always been so giving with information, especially when it comes to sexual health and that type of thing. So um, for us, it was, you know, it's it's cool to be able to to shine that onto our platform and uh this conversation around abortion is is a great 
place to start because of some of the Roe v. Wade, um, the, the Roe v. Wade overturning leaks that came out and what this conversation is, is uh, where it holds today. So if we're starting at the top, what when you think of abortion, what's the first thing that comes to mind to you? I think the first thing that comes to my mind um, is a safe procedure. And I think that's really, really important to take into account because even when there are laws that are put in place to control um, people's bodies, to regulate, et cetera, there's a lot of different language to use there. But I think it's really important to recognize that whether or not there are laws prohibiting that those procedures, they are still happening. And they have happened for you know, hundreds of years prior and they will continue to happen. And so um, I think safety is the, the most key word that comes to my mind in relation to abortion when you say when you say safety it, it brings me into when looking into the roe v wade case it seems like there is three different stages within pregnancy uh between the first and third trimesters where at depending on that stage there's a different um there's a different reaction by by the laws at the first trimester um uh, an abortion can be done and please correct me at any point if i'm if i'm incorrect at the first trimester uh, an abortion can be done legally. Second trimester, it can still be done legally. However, doctors can step in at that point. And then at third trimester, it is only can only be done if the mother is in danger. Is is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I think when I'm talking about safety, first and foremost, obviously, yes, there are different laws, and that differs from country to country, from state to state. Um, but I am talking about first and foremost the the mother, uh, which is a gendered word, um, but um, the person with the uterus is something I'm going to keep saying, and that's a long, I know it's a mouthful, but um, the person who is having the procedure done, their safety, and that's not to say we're not, you know, again, mindful of the emotional attachment to the word fetus, and people again translate into the word baby, um, but I think it's important, again, when we're looking at, first and foremost, the health of the person who needs to have the procedure for whatever reason, and again, how, what is their physical health, what is their emotional health, what is their mental health, which is something that I really appreciate you mentioning earlier in the podcast, again, these, these are difficult times, how can we support people, um, and again, these aren't light decisions that anyone is making, but when they do make them, what is the support in place? And again, it's not about criminalizing them for those decisions. On that note of criminalizing, I just want to situate us in this current moment and kind of the legal back and forth that's going on. So the Supreme Court is currently reviewing Dobbs v. Jackson's Women's Health Organization. Um, it's a case that considers a Mississippi law. And if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the Mississippi law, right, which restricts access to abortions, um, and states have laws and the federal laws kind of conflict with those. So in this case, if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the Mississippi law and overturns Roe v. Wade, states would kind of essentially regain the power to regulate abortions on their own, right? Um, the opinion is a draft. It was penned by uh, Justice Samuel Alito. And uh, they're still editing the document. But what was leaked was essentially that the that the intention is to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and now people are reacting to that, especially because 13 states, including Arkansas, Missouri and Oklahoma, have what's called trigger laws. That means that as soon as the decision comes out, um, if it's against Roe v. Wade, then it immediately restricts abortion rights or at least access to abortion in those states. 
Um, and so that's why people are responding with urgency, I think. Uh, and that's why there's so much political fervor around this is because, um, yeah, there's, there's certain states and certain parties that have lobbied to put us in this predicament where, like that, a lot of people are going to lose access to critical medical services. Absolutely. And I think it's important to know, even prior to the leaking of this draft, abortion access in a lot of the states that you've already mentioned, but even in others that you haven't, isn't easy. It's something that's important to know. And again, the I'm sure we'll be talking about people who will be hit the hardest, but if you think about communities of colour, again, who have intersectional realities, non-binary people, trans people, these are not people who have easy access to abortion care anyway. Um, and again, we'll, we can talk about the financial ability to, to access abortion care, especially in this country. Um, we're talking about transport access, access to clinics, etc. Aftercare as well, which is really important. We don't talk about that enough. We have to think about the fact that this is already not a procedure that is easy to have. Um, and the fact that these laws are going to very possibly um, be put into place will make things infinitely harder. Yeah, you you mentioned oh, the folks that are going to be most directly impacted by this. Um, I was going to ask you to dive in and say a little bit more about that, but I think Sway was going to jump in and want to make space for his <laughs> comment too. Listen, I know both of us have just a full list of questions that we've been uh, waiting to ask Lottie, but uh, please go, go, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump in afterwards. So communities of colour, as I mentioned, I think it's really important, as always, to think about the systems of discrimination, of oppression, of racism, white supremacy, patriarchy, that impacts communities of colour, especially, um, again, as I mentioned, um, non-binary people, trans people, these are people who are very much, you know, always struggling with the transphobia of medical care, for example, and really, really struggle with that access on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I was also reading about people who don't have um, an American citizenship, for example. Um, there are cases in Texas, I believe, I'm just looking over my notes, um, where people who are traveling over the border, um, for example, to Mexico to try and have access to abortion care, and Texas has pretty stringent laws already in place, um, they have to show if they have citizenship, citizenship status, which again reinforces, you know, the, the, the policing of these bodies on so many different levels. So we're looking at, again, a lot of communities who, from a financial point, from a racial point, from a sexual gendered point, who, you know, um, who are struggling already and who will be very much continue to be discriminated it does it does seem like that sort of this that discrimination that you speak of is one of the things that um is one of the things that activists who are against the legislation uh keep pointing towards is that there are unless there are burdens that are placed in these restrictions that make it difficult for for access like you put so in looking at um planned parent planned parenthood versus casey um that which is essentially to my understanding now the prevailing standard of how abortion um, on how abortion laws are are set upon, um, there is there has been talks of the fact that it does place an un, uh, a difficult to access and a burden. But on the other side, they would say that those um, those th those roadblocks that they've put in place are for the safety of the mother. So um, where does one land in this space where there does seem to be people on one end who are saying it 
it's more difficult because it's supposed to be safer. People on the other end saying it's way too difficult and it it, 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 it like, makes access less to some people. I think, again, you know, there's even in the media, there's an aversion using, you know, the key terminologies of pro-choice versus pro-life, you know, and, and again, I think it's really important to, to, to recognize that it can be really confusing to figure out where you stand when you've got kind of these two extremes on the spectrum going, you have to be pro-choice, you have to be pro-life. Um, what if you, you are someone who fundamentally believes in a woman's right to choose? And again, that's gendered language. So anyone who has a uterus and their right to choose. Um, and therefore, again, depending on the circumstance at hand, you know, you may believe that life begins at conception. Maybe you believe that, again, a fetus is a fetus until, again, much later in a pregnancy. Um, but I think it's, again, it's 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 recognizing that this is a very personal issue for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, and these are my beliefs, but safety comes first. Um, the ability to choose, I think, is important. And um, to recognize that. There's a lot of arguments around, if, for example, if someone is, is pro-life, are we respecting the right, the like the autonomy of a, of a person with a uterus's body and their right to choose and to make decisions safely for themselves versus, you know, kind of highlighting the rights of an unborn fetus child. Um, but that argument to me doesn't always stand up very well when there are children who are born, to use the example of the United States, and who don't even have sufficient access to baby formula and you know who are voting who are the people who are in you know elected offices voting against access to that baby formula or even making the argument that you know anyone should give birth and then someone can be adopted there are what 400,000 children in, in in care right now and waiting for homes and it's they're not getting the support that they need so i think again there are so many very, very emotional ties to this conversation. It's about making space for that. But at the end of the day, for me, it's always about safety and it's always about mm. ensuring that someone has the right to choose and it's not about judging them for any choice that they make. But again, obviously, having a conversation safely, making sure they know what their choices are. I know there are a lot of people, certainly in the UK, which is where I'm from, who you know go into a clinic and they are seeking safe abortion care and they're still dealing with a conversation that feels so judgmental from the doctors and the nurses, et cetera, and who are pushing this conversation of like, are you sure? And again, I think it's it's it can come off as 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 very deliberating and very, I don't even know if like, you know, the word is is patronizing. At the end of the day, if we were talking about the flip side, sperm banks have the right to refuse sperm. I just want that to kind of like weigh in for a moment um, because it is important to recognize, you know, different reproductive rights uh, that are out there and that includes all genders. Um, but it's, it's why, why do, why is there some agency for some genders that is so radically controlled and actively policed for others? Um, and I think that's again, very telling of, of the state of, of reproductive rights still today. And why is it that we view, you know, um, the right to control, for example, anyone with a uterus and their right to access free and safe contraception versus anyone who has testicles uh, and, and their rights. <gasps> I know, shocking, shocking testicles. <laughs> oh, I do it. Um, 
and and you know again like why why is the conversation around the onus on contraceptive rights so often on that on the people who have uteruses very long you very know long like i like to come on the show and be mr statistics and bring out the data and bust it out and but the truth is you know when it comes to this conversation and and I'm and I'm glad we have you here so we can feel safe and being ignorant where we can be and, and just be honest where we can be. Um there there's there is an element of it where it's just like there is no way that um there should be a a takeaway of someone's choice in being able to decide what happens within their body. Um and you know the 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 idea of at what point do we mark the beginning of where conception uh where uh, life begins, um you, you know they they you do it is a bit sensitive to be able to think about it but uh, you know despite what despite what the semantics are being said on the on um, on the news and where the different people stand it does seem to feel like there is middle ground for where people can where where we can understand that there's options like you say investing in the options making those options better um it just it just feels like we're all standing on opposite ends of the room shouting at each other about the worst parts of the part the thing we're trying to defend when it comes to this topic absolutely and i think it's about humanizing the conversations as often as possible you know and i think it's acknowledging the emotional toll that it takes on a person with a uterus to realize that they may be pregnant and i'd like to point out that realization isn't immediate there isn't like you know, I'm not a turkey. It doesn't pop out and tell me that I'm cooked. Like, it takes a while to realize that you may be pregnant. Welcome for that metaphor. But um, it's it's really important to recognize that contraception may not work. You may not have realized. Shout out. I mean, I'm a sex ed teacher for a reason. But, you know, if you're on any form of um, antibiotic, your hormonal contraception does not work. There's a, high, there's a high probability of that. It's important to know that. We know that barrier methods such as condoms don't always work. Oil, condoms, don't mix. Be very careful what kind of lube you use, children. Um, but so... Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a lot of information you said it right yeah. there. Slow. I'm not catching these. You got to slow it down. Please, please say those again one more time. So, for some, okay. so, for everybody else. So if I'm talking about the that window of time when you might not realize that you're pregnant, right? And again, realizing takes a while because you may, for example, be on a form or of hormonal contraception um, which are most of the forms of contraception that people with uteruses have to take in order to regulate their cycle, prevent pregnancy, okay? So it's important to know that when you're on any form of antibiotics, that kind of mess with your hormonal contraception. And that's not something that people always know. Um, for example, is you know if you're moving around um, countries and time zones, if you're not taking that contraception, if you're, for example, taking a form of a pill, if you're taking that orally every single day, time zones can mess you up. I think it's just really important to recognize that no form of contraception is 100%. Um, and if we're talking about barrier methods, which is what we call forms of condoms, that can be internal condoms, external condoms, um, please be mindful of the fact that if you use any product that has oil in it, so whether that's oil-based lubricant, or if that's, for example, lipstick, um, because that's important to recognize that that might come in contact with a condom at some point. Or, for example, if we're talking about, you know, people being like, I'm going to use coconut oil because it's so good for the body. Please don't. Please don't do that. Um, because um, any form of oil that has contact with a condom can make it split. And so these are all things that I 
dedicate myself to teaching but especially as you know whether you're a young adult or you know an adult now most of us haven't had the comprehensive sexual health education that we needed and so we are constantly and I count myself in this constantly catching up with that information so um it's important to know that there are many reasons why if you are on contraception it might not have worked um and if you again didn't think of having contraception or if you forgot it whatever um if you had any form of unproductive sex it might take a while to realize that you are pregnant and so coming back to my point it's important to recognize the emotional toll on someone who may have just realized that they are pregnant and obviously this is something about okay what do i do now am i in a financial place am i in an emotional place i think it's important to recognize am i in a mature enough place to have a child you know like again all the realities of that conversation but let's as much as possible also make space for whomever might you know be the sperm donor of um of that interaction how do they feel in that moment and and again humanizing that space as much as possible and creating safe spaces for people to have conversations about anything that you know people feel strongly about is difficult but i think it's really really important for us to try as much as possible to facilitate facilitate this communication well as a potential sperm donor i i appreciate you acknowledging our role in 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 all of this and i want to i want to come back to that but i also really appreciated you kind of making space for the lack of knowledge and acknowledging that part of that is the system um and kind of an intentionality or a taboo around not talking about sexual and reproductive health um maybe where you the thing we're most united in across these conversations is like confusion uh <laughs> and and not knowing uh so Zwei you mentioned data I actually stumbled across some of that uh in researching for stumbled upon uh and found that in the United States only 19% of respondents um correctly understood that giving birth is less safe than having an abortion um 31% of respondents weren't sure whether doctors who provide abortions are licensed medical professionals like other doctors and they are um so there's a lot that we don't know um and that's kind of held true over time like on a lot of different issues including like um racism and lgbtq plus rights uh people's thoughts and ideas about it have shifted a lot over time but the ideas about abortion have held steady for a really long time um across like different who's asking the question whether it's political whether it's for science like uh people kind of have this this even keel thought and it doesn't reflect these two extremes that we've been talking about right the majority of abort of people in the united states at least and i want us to get into like kind of comparisons with other spaces as well but they want legal access to abortion with restrictions right um for especially for health and consent reasons uh and so zway again what you were saying before about us not wanting to see this middle ground whatever data we've been able to capture does say does suggest that there is more of a middle ground than these two extremes um and i just it's it's interesting to me that through our we can't see ourselves past these stances we've decided to put in the ground so it's really it's really tough and i feel like that's i don't know i guess this is where i'll turn it to to lil to tell us a little bit more about kind of parallels in the UK do you feel like it's as politicized and do you think some of what we've seen the conversations and the legislation will affect things across the pond so i think it's um 
That's a good question. I don't know if I would say it's as politicized, but I don't, I wouldn't ever say that it's not as emotional a topic. Um, I think it has been politicized massively in the United States. Um, I think, again, the UK has a different history of even, for example, um, you know, our religious history is very different. And I think there is, again, a correlation still in, in terms of how faith-based communities um, feel very, very strongly um, about abortion care. And we can get into that a little bit. But I think that has impacted how, again, abortion rights have maybe viewed differently in the UK. Um, I, I still want to be very clear. There is no country that I know of that has perfect abortion care laws. Um, so if I, I've just been studying in Scotland, and if I use Scotland as an example, um, Scotland at the moment, again, is, is at the forefront of a lot of great things. But again, they have a very comprehensive um, sexual health education, um, which is ahead of England. But at the same time, um, they don't quite have the same level of abortion care. So that is to say, um, let me just check, that they have um they don't have the same health boards so um we have that's right um they don't have sufficient health boards to cover abortions up to the legal limit which means in since 2019 170 scottish women which is to say about one scottish woman a week had to travel to england to receive sufficient abortion care um and so again we're looking at countries who you would hope from a developmental point have the sufficient resources and don't um but at the same time the uk which is to say wales england and scotland still live under this victorian law which requires that any person with the uterus wanting um needing requiring an abortion needs that to be approved by two different doctors and that has to be done in good faith which, by the way, from a legal standpoint, can be interpreted in great many ways. Um, and I'm laughing, but it's not funny. And um, needing two doctors is problematic because, again, those who are pro those roadblocks will say, no, that's needed. That's how we ensure that someone isn't, you know, jumping to, 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 con to, to conclusions and therefore decisions, which, again, I think it's very patronizing. Um, but when you're looking from a pragmatic and pra practical reality, meeting two different doctors is complicated, especially when, I mean, we're very lucky we have the NHS, the National um, Health Service, which is insu essentially ensuring free healthcare in the UK. But you, it's, 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 you know, it's a very busy system, taking into account the fact that we're still in a pandemic. Um, it's a very overwrought system, and that is, means it's very, very complicated to need two different doctors to ascertain whether or not the person who wants this procedure is making the right decision for themselves um so again there is no right model i will still say it's something that needs to be evolved and needs to be addressed equally in scotland they have a huge problem with um protests outside their clinics so they are currently looking to pass um protest free buffer zones because again, if we're looking at the emotional toll that it takes on someone to have made the decision to find somewhere to go, to make their way, which again, if we're looking at people who have financial intersectional identities from again, race, et cetera, perspectives, it's complicated to make your way, to get maybe childcare, to take time off. Like these are not um, 
easy journeys, okay? And the fact that then then making their way to a clinic and people are harassing them, people are abusing them on their way to those clinics, making them feel unsafe, making them feel like their identities aren't being protected. This isn't okay. And um, I know this is a problem that exists across the world, but certainly in, in terms of um, UK laws and the human rights that you know we try to embody, um, that's not okay. So Scotland is trying to, is looking at passing that, but things aren't perfect. That's so insightful. That's 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 so insightful, and I like that because it now allows us to actually start to look at the person that's actually going through that process and what they're going through. Um, and it, and it touches on a question that we just got um in the comments section. Um, shout out to Tony for for asking it. He says, "What are the best ways to help the second party partner or community?" around the person, if the person has decided to get an abortion, how can we help support the individual um, who's going to be undergoing the act? That's a great question. I love that question. Um, I think, again, it's really, really important to humanize the reality of that of that lived experience. So in terms of support, I would, I mean, emotional support is really, really key. It's about, <clears throat> to me, checking in with that person, um, asking them, Birth and foremost, what kind of support do they feel they need? Um, that 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 conversation, if if they can have it, if they're willing to have it, is important. Um, and then again, it's I think it's it's thinking about what is that journey going to look like for them. Um, if we're looking at again, even the, the practical elements of you know how is that person going to get there? Do they need help getting there? Do they need help coming home? Um, uh, for example, in the UK, you get asked if you if someone's going to get you from the clinic to help you get home. Um, I think that's really, really important. Do they want you to wait in the waiting room? You know, things like that. Um, if not, again, are they willing for you to come in and help them after the procedure and like look after them? There are some amazing local abortion funds if we're thinking about more like a, a second party who we don't know who is part of the community. Planned Parenthood does amazing work, um, but they are, again, they are a national program and organization, and they can't be everywhere. And they certainly can't fund abortions for everyone. So I really, really recommend try and find your local abortion funds, because those are the community-based, grassroots-based community organizations who are aware of what's going on on the ground, again, who will hopefully be able to help people who are, again, in terms of intersectional identities, have the most need for, for that assistance um, and, you know, be able to kind of give a little bit of a blueprint of what the local procedures may be, what are the local clinics that are safe to go to, again, maybe if you don't have protesters outside, things like that. Well, as you uh, share with us some of the things that we can do and, and maybe make ourselves aware of, I wanted to share some resources that you that you provided for folks to check out. Um, and also that, that question leads me to think about, like, our role in this as dudes um and as i think about like a lot of the ways a lot of the hot phrases that have floated around this conversation um i think there's a confusing narrative where this is being framed as a women's issue um but i think i would say that this podcast has a consistent track record of uh advocating for men as caregivers as well Right. And so part of the responsibility and role of being a caregiver um, is being involved in these conversations. So and, and, and knowing right about your rights and about um, how we can work together to support 
access and freedom of choice. Uh, and so when you hear things like, if you don't have a uterus, shut up, um, I would love, Lil, for you to just kind of illuminate your perspective on on what that really means. So again, these <laughs> these uh, expressions are so often, you know, about interpretations. So to me personally, I think it's about reiterating that it's not about controlling a person's body. It's about ensuring that they have the ability to make that choice safely. Um, I can give you a little bit of a sex ed uh, moment, but when I teach about consent, which I think is really again, important across the board, um, we talk about the ability to make a choice safely, the literal yes or no. We talk about the dynamics of power that might be impacting that person in that moment. And I mean that positively as well as I mean that negatively. Um, and again, we talk about, you know, what are the circumstances in terms of ability? So that can be physical, that can be mental, um, all of those realities. And so I mean, truly, what what are the what are the different influences that impact someone's ability to make that choice safely? Um, so that is the element of please don't control someone's body in that way. But I think it's really important, as you said, to recognise that this is an all gender issue. And so, as people identify as men, like it is really really important to acknowledge that this is an issue that impacts you. Right. And I think it's we've seen that a little bit. I don't know if anyone's been kind of keeping an eye on the protests that happened after the leak. But it's the most we've ever seen men represented in 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 those protests, which was wonderful to see. But please think about how, again, as if, if you are people who identify as men, for example, um, if suddenly whomever whomever you may be having sex with turns around and goes, I may be pregnant, and they don't have the ability to have a safe procedure, how is that going to impact you? And you do have a responsibility there. You have an element of accountability, which is, which is important. And, and hopefully you can have that safe conversation with that person and be like, you know, this is what I would prefer, absolutely. Um, but this is something that impacts you. And I think it will be really, really important to recognize what those consequences may be once this law is overturned. Speaking of consequences, um, there are a lot of consequences beyond the right to abortion that might be affected by this, right? Um, there's access to contraception um, and even some other... We're getting to this place where the Supreme Court decision is aligning us in this, in this direction where you only have a constitutional right if it was agreed upon by like seven white men in the 1700s. Um, and that puts a lot of other things at stake. So as before we close this conversation out with some things that people can do again and, and, and remind them of some ways that they can reach out and be, get involved, um, Lil, can you kind of outline for us a little bit of those other implications um, that this might have? Absolutely. So I'm just going to read uh, the legal bit for a second. So the legal principles that the Supreme Court said in 1973 are the basis for the right to abortion are the same ones um, they relied on to recognize that other rights are not explicitly noted in the Constitution. And when we say not explicitly noted, we are talking about, like you mentioned, contraception. Um, and so I think in this moment, I'll be like, look, plan B is something that I think is going to come up very quickly. It won't be contraceptive access um, isn't part of Roe v. Wade, but I'm saying it's going to be like a landslide. And so plan B... Um, which a lot of people know to kind of more colloquially call morning after pill. Um, 
the sex ed in me is like, please don't only call it that because it's not something that you can only take the morning after. You can take it up to, depending on the bill, 72 hours. Um, but a lot of people um, still call it that. That is not an abortion pill, by the way. Um, and that's important to know. It is something that prevents ovulation or delays it. So it's it's not quite qualifiable as, as any type of abortion procedure. Um, but so I believe truly that contraception will be affected. There will be um, impact on that. I think IVF will come into play as well. People who may not be able to, to conceive um, you know, naturally, I think, again, that will be very complicated for a lot of people. Um, and again, if we're looking at the rights that are not explicitly noted in the Constitution, we're looking at a variety of different rights that have, again, from a societal evolution come into play. So we're looking at LGBTQ plus rights, absolutely. Um, Same-sex marriage was passed in 2015 by the Supreme Court. And I think, again, that seven years is not, um, you know, constitutional history by any means. So I think that can be easily overturned. Interracial marriage would be another one, uh, which became legal um, in 1967. And actually, I've got contraception became legal in 1965. Which, again, is, is very recent if we're thinking about the span of history um, so again, uh, I think it's really important to acknowledge that legal precedents occur and then things get very scary very quickly. Um, and I'll just jump in for one other point that I wanted to make regarding just kind of legal care. Um, once abortion care in different states becomes illegal, um, things like data and your privacy come into play. So a lot of people, including myself, uh, track our cycles through different fertility apps. Really helpful, it's really easy. The problem with that is a lot of them sell off your data. And this is when things get dangerous because you don't know who they're selling them to. It means that, again, um, the government, whether it's you know uh, any type of policing agency, whether it's, I mean, honestly, anyone who wants to buy it, <laughs> um, the highest bidder, can have access to your data. So it's, it's really important to recognize that things get logged into those trackers, whether it's just, you know, your, your menstruation cycle. Once you get pregnant, obviously your period isn't coming in as, as, as uh, regularly if at all. And so that will be easy to track and ascertain. It's not like you're logging in necessarily that you got pregnant, um, but it's the fact that on a, on a data tracker, it will be quite visible quite quickly to see that. And that means, that, again, if you have then had an abortion, someone can go and say, well, we can track this and we can say that you have and therefore we can criminalize you. So it's important to recognize that. It's not about scaring everyone in terms of please don't track your cycles because it's important to, but there are apps that have much more encrypted privacy um, realities. And for example, I know that um, I was looking up, I think Google, any kind of, um, Apple Health app as well, which I think does track that 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 cycle. That is safer. I know it's not okay. ideal. There are some cringes that are coming up. It's not ideal, and it's you know one of the recommendations I was reading was just like do it on paper, which we may not always want to do. I don't trust myself with an Excel spreadsheet, so I think it's just important to to know the risks and then as much as possible do do your research. Um, but I will say it was scary for me to be like that's the app I use. That's not great. That that data isn't safe now. Um, was it ever? But more importantly, now whose hands they're going to hold? You know. So it's just important to know. 
so in the hopes of making this very, very scary conversation a little bit more digestible and approachable and leaving folks with something to do, um, I think one and a lot of what you've highlighted, Lil, is that this is a very local issue. It depends on where you are and what state you live in um, if you're in the United States. So I'll share this map right quick so folks can get an understanding. Check your state out. Know, uh, you know what the, what the status is. Um, and then if you want to express your support, you can tap into your local reproductive rights, justice, and health community. Um, ask them how you can be involved. There are people doing the work already, I promise you, um, near you. Uh, so you can donate to your local abortion fund and other practical support organizations. Um, check out your local ACLU. They are working to protect access in states that don't have abortion restrictions so that people uh, who do can travel to those states and are able to get care quickly. Um, there are other few organizations. There are also a few organizations approaching it from a national level um, that are run by women of color, including National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice and New Voices for Reproductive Justice. So check them out, um, support, and also make sure that wherever you are at at home, you put your hands together and say a gigantic thank you to Lilani for joining us, being our expert, um, taking care of us through this conversation. We appreciate you so much. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And I know there was a lot of information that I was lobbing out there. So if there are any follow-up questions, anyone, you know, just interested in knowing more, I'm here. I'm, I'm glad to help. Yeah, drop a comment. You know what I'm saying? We'll, we'll put y'all in touch. We'll get somebody to you. <laughs> hey, man, without further ado, Mr. Mark Xavier, we got more of the show to get into. We got more content that we got to give these people. We've been blessed by the presence of Elani, man. We have a whole, we're not even done. We're not even at the people's favorite part of the show because me and you dedicate our time to all this insightful stuff. But they just want to hear about how Miles feels about hip hop. Big facts, big facts. This is this might be the world's biggest, but wait, there's more. <laughs> but in that case, let's get into it. Hey, Miles, you know, at this uh, at this point, it pretty much just seems like we have it out for Elon Musk, is, is what it seems like. And and I don't like the fact that Musk News just is so content-worthy every time it comes up on this show. And here we are again, another week, Miles about to hate on Elon Musk. Miles, what grinds your gears about Elon Musk this week? First of all, Musk News is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> in in any context, Musk News is gross, fam. So check this out, man. And I don't know why our man keeps popping up, but where there's smoke, there's fire. He always in the middle of something. I just tell you what type of person he is. And as a billionaire, when you're always in the middle of stuff, uh, you can you can mess a lot of stuff up. Um, so <laughs> what Elon has messed up this time is, or is trying to mess up, is remote work. He's trying to mess it up for all of us. I don't know about you. I'm home. So are you at home? Um, home, outside, and all the above, you know, is how I am. But like this, this might like look, I, let's let's give people some context on the story. Let's let's really do let's be professional about this. So Elon Musk sends an email out last week to uh to his uh staff at Tesla. Uh the subject of the 
the email is remote work is no longer acceptable directly from Elon Musk to executive staff. So it says anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum. And I mean a minimum of 40 hours per week or depart Tesla. This is less than we ask of factory workers. If there are particularly exceptional contributors from who this is possible, I will review and approve those exceptions directly. Moreover, the office must be a main Tesla office, not a remote branch office unrelated to job duties. For example, being responsible for firm faculty human relations, but having your office be in another state. Thanks, Elon. Those of us uh, who have had any experience at all in the corporate world know that this is a spicy email. That joint is hot. I've right? definitely seen this one before. It's a lot of big words in it. You know what I'm saying? The language is 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 deceptive of how heated <laughs> this man is behind the keyboard, right? When he put in parentheses, and I mean it, like, oh, man, that's a lot, bro. So basically, what he's saying, he's fed up. He wants people to come back into the office. Uh, I am among the, the, the work-from-home nation uh, who transitioned to working from home during COVID, and I ain't going back. <laughs> <laughs> at least at least not all the way right so i'm i'm probably three days a week in the office two at home kind of depends on how the week is going and what meetings i have to get to but i uh, deeply appreciate uh the productivity across the board that i'm able to accomplish when i get to work from home and i think that is the sentiment that a lot of folks uh around the world really uh are feeling and there are some companies that are pushing back i think the really interesting thing here is that elon musk is often thought of or framed as like a forward thinker and this is a little bit um this is kind of cantankerous old manish of him to, to to say this i think if you're viewing it from the perspective of where work is going and the capabilities we have Nah, bro. Nah, I don't think it's a matter of it being cantankerous. I think like there's a, a a high possibility. There is a reality where the work that is required for this business to conduct in a way that fits the leader has to be in a certain manner, you know? So figureheads like your musks, um, who are these, uh, single, single authority figureheads, the buck stops here type dudes, you, the system, the system works according to what, what his preferences are. And I do know that there are some bosses that um, their preference of being able to work at an optimum is by seeing everybody around them. A lot of these dudes is lonely. A lot of these dudes are sad. <laughs> a lot of these dudes don't have no friends. And like, that's a, that's also a bit of a part of it, but with it's to a certain extent it's like this, right? If I built this thing this way, I built this brick by brick, you know what I mean? <laughs> so when you come in here, you could do it exactly how I said you should do it. So, on one end, man, I think we like to villainize Elon Musk a little bit, man. But like, I I'm positive that in either my future or your future, an email like this will have an email of this sort of spiciness might have to be sent out. I don't disagree with that. I think sometimes you gotta you gotta be able to put your foot down, but you gotta pick your battles as well. And I think this is a case where. I feel I can understand him being as dedicated as he's dedicated. But if you're Elon Musk, is it fair for you to expect all of your other employees to care about Tesla as much as you do? Like I'm paying them. Yeah, I, I, I guess. But if you're I think I think this 
illuminates like a blind spot that he has because if that's what the if that's not what's in demand then you're going to lose mad talent right if people are saying like yo uh, i want to work from home and there are multi-million dollar companies billion dollar companies that are offering that as an option then sure elon musk can set his rules to be as rigid as he wants but i think you deprive yourself of top talent that's going to go somewhere that's going to allow them to operate the way that they want to operate in a way that I mean, there is data out there to show that we've been more successful or been as productive, if not more productive, since coming home. So, I'm glad you touched on that statistic of being more productive. So there's a book called Remote Work Revolution. Um, and what they what they talk about is um, where work is effective and where it's not effective, uh, at least where remote work is effective and not effective. And it is true. Uh, the work does inc- uh, work rate does increase from work from home. But also some people do say that the work from home structure has made has blurred the lines between where when work starts and where work stops. Another statistic that is in this remote work conversation is the fact that uh, turnover is a lot higher under remote work whereas if people come into the office turnover is not as high so there's one thing you you know is to say you will lose talent that might not want to come because of that but you're also likely to use lose talent um from utilizing that model yeah that's true you got you gotta there are some realities you got to deal with now at some point somebody gonna do some dishes at some point somebody gonna do some laundry at some point somebody gonna change your baby at some point, somebody gonna have a whole nother job that you don't know about. All right. But what you gotta what you gotta understand is that's that's how it's that's how it's gonna operate. And the reason the hole in this whole story that I know you don't believe in, Mr. KPI, is set your KPIs, right? Set your key performance indicators. You be on my ass about KPIs all damn week. I know you know about KPIs. You set your KPIs, let people know this is what we this is what you gotta do. This is what we expect of you. This is by when you need to do it. And as long as they're hitting them bad boys, what you gonna say? Let me do my laundry. Let me do Uber Eats on the side. Whatever I gotta do. You know what I'm saying? You gotta something gotta give. But look, this is this this is this is the reality of of at least what it seems like is that it does not look like it's fun to work in Tesla. <laughs> that that um Directly coming from a lot of the people from within who have talked about some of the racism that happens in there, uh, a lot of the prejudice that goes on in there. We famously covered somebody who had gotten Amazon. Was Amazon a test that got $100 million off of uh, inner work racism? I think that was Amazon. No, no. It was Tesla. It was was Tesla. Tesla. Yo. They got hundred million dollars worth of racism going on over there, so it doesn't look fun. So if you're going there, you better know what you're going for. But also, that's that's also another problem that I have with this tweet because he says, you know, look, anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum, and I mean a minimum of forty hours per per week or depart Tesla. This is less than we ask of our factory workers. He throwing the factory workers in there. Like, he cool with them. I feel like they must have read this and been like, nah, (laughs) we don't mess with you either. You're not wrong there. You're not wrong there. You fall flagging like a mug. (laughs) (laughs) But as somebody that has gotten this sort of email before, man, you know, we've been through the trenches with uh, all sorts of different types of bosses and whatnot. And um, one thing, one thing is that when building some, when building your own structure, organization, company, whatever, um, there is, there is a method that you prefer to operate at that, 
you believe will bring the best result of your output or the team's output. And when you're speaking of a man that's achieved the level of success that this man has, clearly his process of putting together corporate structures um, has some merit towards it. If he so seems to fit that it's that, then so be that. But that being said, if anyone steps into that space, it's on you to know exactly how they work in that office space, you know? And if you're willing to be able to withstand the fire, then by all means, go there and get called. Get called the nigga, bro. Get called the nigga. I don't think working at Tesla is asking to be subject to racism. (laughs) The court would literally say otherwise. Yeah, bro. Yeah, well, we know for a fact that the court be saying some wild stuff. So check out our last segment. But if you don't think that the corporate culture at Tesla will be for you, Lyft has adopted a fully flexible workspace. Reddit switched to a permanent hybrid model in October. And Spotify's Work From Anywhere program launched in February 2021. So it's just funny to me that the dude that just bought Twitter is showing himself to be so against the trend of where... Um, his competition is going, but hey, man, if it if it produces, uh, I ain't even gonna say that. I ain't even gonna say if it's if it's successful. I'm with him. I'm just I'm just I ain't, we ain't with you with the on this one, Elon. We'll, we undoubtedly there'll be another segment. <laughs> this man cannot stay away from the podcast. So, friend of the show, Elon Musk, man. Whenever the next time you come up, uh, I hope we got something more positive to talk about, bro. I'll tell you what, man, you know, as somebody that um, employs people and as somebody that's really passionate about um, the, the the teams that I work with, you know, um, and someone that takes that, that, that type of, that type of role very, very seriously, you know, being heavily invested in understanding different managerial styles, different motivational strategies, um, currently reading Black Box Thinking by uh, Ahmed Saeed which speaks about different ways of being able to fail-proof systems through through planning. These KPIs you speak of that I'm so adamant about come from that theory. Um, all to say, man, that uh, at the heart of it, the most important thing is to want to get the best of the people out of you, you know, of, of the people around you, you know, um, wanting them to realize their fullest potential and making sure that all the opportunities for them to do so are there. Um, emails like this, as much as I could, you know, defend the man's position in them, um, to me have always been discouraging. So I don't think I'd ever be somebody that would issue out statements of this nature. Um, but, you know, it's uh, different strokes for different folks in this game of business. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And I'll be real, like, especially in the work that I do, it's very important that some of it is in person, right? We're trying to convene an organized community. We're trying to share histories, stories, ideas, methods of action and and of affecting change. Um, So in a lot of ways, it's important that we're in the room together. Uh, I think the strategy or um, approach that any manager should take rather than decide your stance on an issue and issue that out to your people, um, Talk to the people, find out what's needed and necessary to get the work done, not only from your perspective, but from the perspective of the people that are doing the things that you don't have your hands on. Uh, Incorporate all of that into your business model and your way to move forward. And I think you'll have a healthy uh, team, just like uh, the many that's way has operating under him.
You know what I'm saying? And I'm I'm fortunate in that in many of these teams I get to do work alongside my brother Miles Xavier. And one of our most favorite things to do, man, is come here every week to talk to y'all onto the show. So thank you to everyone that's in the comment section. Thank you to everyone that's busy watching us. Thank you to the conversations that y'all give us when we're not in this space. Um, thank you to those that feel invested in this, you know, and want to be able to share this experience with us. We appreciate each and every one of you. Me and Miles, we spend hours at a time reading about all sorts of different laws. Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Wade. You know, we're getting deep. We're getting technical. Yet, the people want one thing. <laughs> they, they see this one particular part of the show is clearly the crack that they keep coming back to. Hey, man. Hip-hop. Let's get serious. Let's get serious. Let me go get my bandana and we can get into it. You don't know him. <laughs> you don't love him. <laughs> but he's behind a lot of really, really fly, fly music um, that you probably do know. Uh, Sahai the Prince is, to me, who everybody else thought Jay Electronica was. Um, and so as we get after like five years, uh, an EP, the Ego EP, um, I want more, but the man undeniably makes some fire music. Uh, what you think there's way? I don't like that he shorted us with a full piece of a, a full piece um, project. You know, I think after five years, that's the music that drops. Man, I, I really would have wanted more. We're such big Sci High fans. Um, that No Church on Sundays, I think, conceptually, is one of the most brilliantly delivered albums. Uh, I think the writing on there is absolutely phenomenal. You know, five years, that album still stands the test of time now. And Sci High has done that many a times. He's done that when he did the 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 Napoleon complex a lot of size music has a lot of staying power you can run back to um to through back catalog and you know even if it dropped today it would be super super relevant so and it doesn't try to be and that's why it's always been very very fresh and and how long it and how long it stays what has been interesting in watching sahai is that where's kanye where's good music push a t out of full album kanye helped produce that album Hmm. He's off the it, good music. He's off the good music label. Uh, Sahai's off good music now. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's your answer, right? Is I guess Gay is no longer involved. Um, and it's always been a little bit confusing for me, right? Especially with how much Sahai writes for other people. Um, if you listen to a lot of the most popular stuff that, um, good music put out a lot of that cruel summer tape a lot of that is sci high give sliding people a few bars here and there and you can definitely hear it when you listen to no dope on sundays which is i love how you said staying power that's an album that i run back to even now um you can definitely hear oh this is where kanye got that flow you know as somebody who doesn't write his own lyrics so um it's always been interesting that that relationship hasn't been more fruitful for Sahai, but it's never been clear to me whether he likes to play the back like that um, and just pop out and drop something crazy when he can, or if he would like for there to be more shine and intentionality from that camp on spotlighting him. I'm not really sure. 
clearly that's uh, clearly I think it's the latter, bro. Because once you saw the same thing that happens once Pusha T stepped away from that album, all of his projects got repackaged. They re-released a whole bunch of uh, different packages of of you know they all of the Lucy's that he had were packaged in a, in, a, in a certain way. So a flow of music came out. Some things that we didn't we weren't on DSPs were able to come out. So I really do think that this also might be a case that like. Wait, I just realized he's wearing a choker in this. He's wearing a wild choker and pearl. Choker with per- is that a choker with pearls? Hey man, <laughs> right? rappers rappers get to be different. Yeah, man, but um, and that's what we love about it, right? But what it does seem that the 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 good music camp had some effect on a lot of the artists that were there. If you look at all the artists that were dropping out of good music, Tiana Taylor, she had, she said she experienced some issues and how she, how her music was able to get out. Um, Ye went through that Trump period. We didn't hear Sai High say anything. Ye went through all of this other, uh, all this other lame stuff. We didn't hear Sai throughout this whole thing. We've never heard Sai High utter any bad word um, outside of it. You know, almost entirely too silent. So it seemed because he was a, a strong supporter um, of Ye, same as Pusha T. But both of these. Push has a lot of yay in his album. And I would expect that, that to be the same thing with Sahai because they both left good music, but that wasn't the case. And I think if I am Sahai and I'm coming back to give people just a four-piece and I've been riding down with good music for a long time, I'm going to expect Kanye's four of at least two. Give me two, three of yay stuff and let me, you know, feed the streets in that way. But I do think there's going to be more music coming. I think this is, um, this is uh, passable. Yeah, yeah. I think floating out there was the story of Egot, and this is Egot the EP. So maybe this is uh, an appetizer, if you will. But um, it's not bad. It's very listenable, right? I think we hold him to a high standard because of what he delivered before. Um, I ain't that mad that there's not a lot of Kanye influence on here um, because we got it on the Push album and all of our favorite tracks were the ones that were produced not by Ye. So... Uh, and also, Sahai doesn't need it. Sahai d- delivers bars in a way that the production can be minimal, right? And he just he can just go, right? Um, and there's he shows points of that on here. It's it's clever. Um, the music is well written. He's flowing. He's in pocket. But when you know what he could do, it's just a little bit underwhelming. So I hope you're right. I hope there is more music coming soon. Um, this do we rate EPs or do we just say? Good job. <laughs> I, I would. I was. I was hoping for more. And the only reason I'm so critical on this is because I kept on telling people that No Church on Sundays is one of the best hip hop albums to drop in, over the last decade. One of the best hip hop albums to drop. Like you said, this is Sahai is what J Electronica isn't, and which and like that's that 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 says a lot because you know a lot of people like to overhype J, but sahai really has he does write for your favorite rappers if you didn't know he wrote sickle mode the travis scott's versus sickle mode and you can hear it too you can hear mm-hmm. that influence and how he and how he maneuvers he's very comfortable around the music so man even the fact that i didn't get any sahai or pushes album like that would that's perfect that's luxury drug rap this is that's a, a match made heavy spinning dr- luxury dr- drug rap to be able to see that come together it just seems like a lot of the what i would have liked for to get out of sahai outside of just more music is being able to have a cognizant understanding of what your core fans feel like because that's what we are you know um 
what they would have wanted and being able to feed that directly as opposed to putting out, you can't make bad music, but like, um, it would have been good to have a full consideration of like, all right, I'm back. This is what y'all want. Take this. That would have been fly, but more will be revealed. Who raps better, Sci High or Gibbs? Ooh. Who's had a more consistent run? I mean, Gibbs is for a million times more consistent, but I don't know if I don't there know. There it if, is. There it is. But that's a different question, man. <laughs> yeah. Who's a better rapper? Who <laughs> whose jacket do you like better? <laughs> there you go. Nah, 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 nah. But like, um, I think I think Sahai is a stronger writer, but Gibbs is a better uh a better rapper. I feel that. I feel that. Gibbs yeah. delivery and yeah, I feel that. But man, Ty's got bars. So check out No Dope on Sundays. Um, check out the production credits behind your favorite songs because you will find Sci High um, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, yeah, man, I think I think we know. Yeah, we definitely know. We definitely are know. so aware that this is too many podcasts. Really is right. The fact that you found ours is a miracle. We appreciate you. Thanks for joining us. You have so many things that you could be doing, are doing. So whether you're riding around, whether you're studying, whether you're chilling, whether you're just taking in this Sunday after church, we appreciate you being here. This is a celebration of celebrating. This is a celebration of life. This is a celebration of how good it feels to be black. Don't it feel good, way? It's my favorite thing, man. And we hope it feels good to be you, whatever skin you're in. Um, shout out to everybody in the comments. Shout out to everybody who tuned in. Shout out to Lilani, our illustrious guest. Uh, wherever you are in the world, eat something delicious. Hug somebody you love. Like that. Peace. Water. We gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all...